This is the Knicks Wall Podcast, presented by Whistle Sports. I'm your host, Mike Cortez. Joining me today, Eli Cohen. Welcome back, Eli. Thanks, Mike. How you doing? Good, good. Get, getting ready to do some mock drafting, so I'm very hyped. To help us do that, though, we needed two more people. Nick Carante, draft season stalwart. What is up, Nick? How you doing? I'm happy to be here. Good. Good to have you. Good to have you. And lastly, but definitely not least... One of my favorite writers in general, and happy he's back. TKW's Quentin Haynes. Quentin, what's up? How you doing, man? How's everyone doing today? Doing good. Doing good. Basketball's starting to look. We're getting close to the finals. So, we're doing pretty good. But, um, Knicks-wise, it's all about the draft. It always has been. So, we last year we started the mock draft. I believe we did, like, the top 30 picks. I forgot what it was. This year, we expanded a little bit since the Knicks have three picks. We have the top 40, and we went in alternating order. And so we'll just go through and share with you guys. The mock draft, the written version, will be accompanying this podcast. So in case you missed anything, the podcast will be with the mock draft itself. So I had the first pick, guys. I want Anthony Edwards here. I'll give my rationale, and then you guys tell me what you feel about it. I thought about trading this pick. And I thought the only trade Minnesota would probably want is Devin Booker just to pair him with Towns and Russell. Obviously, the Suns are in a great place right now, so I don't think that trade was ever going to come to fruition. I don't see anybody else that really fits what they wanted to do. And I think Edwards gives them the best chance at a superstar at the number one pick, even though I love LaMelo. I think he'll be able to slash. I think Towns and Russell space the floor better for him. And if they can just get him to lock in for 48 minutes or however long he's on the court, I think he's a really good player. Yeah, I mean, if if Ant ever decides that he wants to actually take advantage of his body and athleticism and get to the rim, then playing in like a five-out system with Cat as your center and D'Angelo on the perimeter should open up tons of lanes for him. So if they can get him to like embrace that physical mentality, it seems like a great fit. Yeah, and the main thing for me was what, like, what was there another offer out there? I guess, like, did I miss any potential trade? Because I don't really don't think the Timberwolves had much to go off of. I could maybe see like Chicago, you know, mm-hmm. since they it's unclear how they feel about most of their young guys. See if mm-hmm. they can try to like try to get in the mix for that number one pick. You know, they just hired. Billy Donovan, they've got the new GM, I think, Troy Weaver, right? And so I yeah. could see them trying to make a big splash. And they do have, like, like I mean, the, the Timberwolves originally picked Markkinen. Could, like, I don't know, some kind of package around Markkinen and four get them up to one? I mean, probably Minnesota would have to send something back in that case. But I could see them trying to get into it. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I'm trying to – yeah, I really can't see. That's the problem. I think that's the closest deal. Maybe Atlanta, but I don't even know what Atlanta would offer. But I always wanted Anthony to stay in Atlanta because he seems to be 
a guy who wants to stay close to home. So that was my goal. But I don't know what Atlanta will want to part with to move up from six. So that's why I just played it safe, took Edwards. Again, Eli, it, it, well, go ahead, Nick. It's interesting with this draft being as it is without any real consensus. I can't think of a lot of drafts where – you know, so many of the top guys have, have such a variance of where they can end up going within the top five, top ten, that I don't know how teams would feel about trading up when there are probably guys they might feel similar about that they could wait on. Right, and we'll see later in the draft why taking Edwards doesn't look as bad. But I find it funny because the draft that this does remind me of is a 2013 draft with Oladipo going second and Anthony Bennett going first. Mm-hmm. So in this case, I went with the old depot type instead of the unknown, which I guess would be LaMelo, but not really, because I feel like LaMelo is a much more sure bet than Anthony Benton ever was. Speaking of the Knicks, the when the Wolves won, it kind of feels like they're the team that needed the Knicks to stay in their spot the most, because the Knicks obviously wanted LaMelo before the draft, and Minnesota kind of needs that, like, defensive player who can kind of play in between Cat and uh, D'Lo. Mm-hmm. And, like, you think if they would have got the sixth pick, they would have been in position for, like, a Coro. Maybe Denny would have been on the board. But because the Knicks fell to eight, it kind of just threw everything off. So I don't think you really missed anything in terms of a draft day trade. I'm sure there's somebody out there in, like, actual – player in the league now they could probably consider trading for but in terms of like a draft trade where you're swapping two picks I don't think you really missed anything yeah I think that's and I do like like if we had to just pick a prospect in a vacuum I would love a Kuro mm-hmm. in the middle of that big three I guess so but yeah I think eight's kind of playing with fire if you're the Timberwolves yeah. but Golden State Eli you went with LaMelo Ball were you even considering a trade, or do you think Lamelo is just a great fit with great mentors in Golden State? No, I mean, I, I would consider a trade. I think that they're going to probably, you know, I feel like the odds are pretty good that they'll go for a trade to try to get someone who can contribute a little bit more, you know, a little bit quicker and a little bit more on both ends of the ball. Um, I do think that he's a good fit if you can kind of – put him at the two if you trust that he could be the two and clay could be the three and then i think with the way that they use steph of just like having him sort of pass off to draymond early on and then just start relocating like i think that Lamelo could actually have the ball in his hands a fair amount i so i i do think it's a good fit but it's also a pick to be traded because i feel like he's probably got the highest trade value of anyone in this draft even if he doesn't go number one he's kind of got that that air of intrigue and he seems a little bit safer than Anthony Edwards to me. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think we take this as we can take him now and we can trade him at any time. And, you know, maybe it's even more likely that they trade the pick, but I think that they would be happy having him on the floor, having a playmaker and a shot creator. And the other thing that I think it makes interesting is what they do with Draymond. Cause I know it sounds heretical to talk about the Warriors without Draymond, but you know, he's getting up there his game is getting a little bit less effective. Like he's basically like an offensive zero. I mean, he's a, he's a great passer, but in terms of like giving you anything on scoring, he's basically a zero and he's being paid a lot of money. So if you have another playmaker who can kind of operate in a similar role in terms of a passer, not in terms of anything else that Draymond does, obviously, but 
that does kind of open doors to maybe look to see if you can get any value. Like, well, this is probably like the highest his value will be from now until the end of this current contract. Mm -hmm. So it does open those avenues, which I think, I don't know if they're interested in that, but it would be an interesting thing for them to explore. Yeah, the one trade that I want but it'll never happen is second overall pick. Draymond Green involved in some capacity for Ben Simmons. I just don't think that's even remotely possible. But that would probably be the one trade I do root for. But, I mean, we saw the Warriors do this with D'Angelo Russell. He didn't really fit their team at all and didn't really provide anything that Stephen Clay didn't. So they held on to him and they were able to offload him. And they brought in Wiggins, which – I'm still 50-50 on, but we've seen the Warriors are more than patient with assets, so not bad. Um, moving on to Charlotte. Keith, I think you had Charlotte last year too, and you went with a similar pick to what they ended up doing, so I think you're on the right track again here. You went James Wiseman. Is it just the big school, big name type of thing, or do you think he just fits their team more than anyone else? A little both. I feel like Charlotte is the weird team in the top three because they can really do just about anything. I feel like if Anthony Edwards is there, he makes a ton of sense. I think LaMelo Ball is in consideration for that pick more than people think, only because they play a lot of, they use a lot of point guards and LaMelo Ball, despite his skill set, has a lot of size. So you can theoretically play um, you could theoretically play all three point guards a little bit and still space the floor. Um, I think Charlotte ultimately goes with either James Wiseman or Obi Toppin just because they love that profile set. And I don't agree with that. I think they actually should be looking more towards somebody like, this is probably high for Devin Vassell, but maybe like a Denny. Um, but I think James Wiseman fits because they need a center. They're very conventional. Need a center. He's the best center. 12 months ago, he was the number one type prospect in this class. I think it's an easy pick for Jordan in them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The only thing I would have said, especially if they go Obi Toppin, I wouldn't like that next to P.J. Washington. I think if you are going to add a big, I guess Wiseman would be the best because he appears yeah. to be a rim runner. I still haven't seen nearly enough, nor has anyone else, because he played so little in college. But the early returns look like great rim runner, and I think P.J. – ability to space the floor, Miles Bridges coming into his own, and then hopefully Malik Monk, if he even comes back, that status is a little up in the air, but couldn't agree more. Yeah, and the weird thing is that they were kind of I don't I don't know what they what Charlotte wants to do because they were they were the team that was interested in Julius Randle not too long ago either. Right. That front office is still there. So it's just I don't know if they want to – They, I kind of feel like a team that they could trade down a little bit, maybe grab another asset or two, only because their roster feels so up in the air. But they may look at somebody like a Detroit. Maybe if you can get like a future first from Detroit or maybe even Chicago if LaMelo falls or if they really want to move up that one spot, maybe to get Killian. I can see somebody trading up for that pick, but Charlotte feels like one of those teams that's just up in the air. We really don't know what they're going to do. Would you attach the two for Nick speaking? Would you attach those two Mavs picks to move up to three? And if LaMelo falls, like let's say Golden State trades the pick and Denny goes second, or they just go Denny period. LaMelo's available at three. Do you cash in your chips? Because I'm still of the sense that I want to hold it out for next year's draft, but 
if you feel strongly about your guy, why not, right? I, well, are I, we talking about eight and the two Mavs picks? So, yeah, it'd be eight, the two Mavs picks, Julius Randle, and uh, what was – it would be Rogier coming back, right, Q? Yeah, it was Rogier and Monk. Yikes. I, I think that I do that. That scares me in a ton of ways. Well, Rogier has what? Two years – has a year – no, two years left. I'll eat Rogier if it means – I love Monk, so obviously I'm going to be biased. But if it means LaMelo, it's a trade I can live with. Let's put it that way. I don't know. For me, three picks plus taking back Rozier, both like the contract and the on-the-court stuff. And uh, I'm not a big Malik Monk believer. That'd be a little rich for my blood, but mm-hmm. uh, I can see the merits of it. No. Uh, theoretically – oh, you go. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, yeah thanks. Um, what I think is interesting, what you're kind of talking about now, that whoever goes to, I think, matters hugely to, to Charlotte because if – if LaMelo is available, that's when that kind of deal you are talking about for the Knicks, which is a lot, becomes realistic. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think the Knicks, I don't think anybody else makes that deal for to move up to take Killian or one of those type of guys. But I do think LaMelo holds that kind of weight where they could sell really high on that pick and, and pit teams against each other to try to get the highest bidder. By the way, speaking of Killian, I feel like he might be a dark horse candidate for this number three pick for Charlotte. Like, it's, it's not what we'd expect, but if, you know, I don't know, Rozier is who he kind of is, but Killian could be a really nice fit next to Devontae Graham moving forward as a defender and a playmaker, whereas Graham is a little bit more of a scorer and just a shooter. Yeah, I feel like any one of the – I feel like – I feel like Killian could do well there. I kind I kind of like Halliburton there. It's just tough. This draft is so wide open that we just don't know a proper ranking for these guys. And to answer Mike's question, I kind of I would hold out only because I just think Killian's going to be there when the Knicks pick in real life. That I really wouldn't want to give up picks. But I mean, I can understand the argument if Lamelo is your guy and you love him that much and you think he can be that good. I can understand. I can understand the trade, but I would hold out personally. Yeah, I would I think- at least try to keep that that Mavs twenty one pick, just because I think that even if that's in like the, you know, early twenties, I think you can get a really good player in that draft. So I mean, I would, I would be doing everything I can to keep that pick at least in that right. deal. And then Porzingis. I mean, Porzingis. We we know firsthand. If he gets injured, I don't think the Mavs will miss the playoffs by any stretch. I think Luka's good enough to carry them to the playoffs. But it's it's possible that could be right where they are right now, which is 18th overall this year. So that's not out of the realm of possibility, and I think that's a good enough chip to move up next year, obviously, if you package other assets with it. Yeah, right, they'll have two high high second round. Sorry, Q, they're, but they'll just have, they'll have two high second round picks in that draft too, so they will have exactly. a lot of capital to move up. Right. Exactly. I feel like we – I feel like – watching the playoffs and watching Luca do his thing against the Clippers, I feel like the the Mavs are gonna be slightly overrated going mm-hmm. into next year. Like there's a chance like I don't see where they can make a big free agency splash. There's a chance where like Porzingis misses, you know, knock on wood, we don't want injuries. But there's like a there's a avenue where Porzingis misses a month and the Mavs lose, you know, eight of 14 games and next thing you know they're picking closer to like 16 than 24 and having that middle first round pick that's that's a valuable pick for the Knicks 
those guys that always that have talent but kind of seem like they need one or two tweaks, they always fall into that 14 to like 19 place. And if you have a pick in there, you can get some real talent there. So, like, I, I agree. I would try to hold on to that Mavs 21 pick. Yeah, I, I agree. And my fear is the Knicks aren't going to think that way because I still think at the end of the day they're always stargazing and LaMelo has all the requisite things you need for the Knicks to chase you. And that's my fear if he does fall to three. Mm-hmm. But moving to four, Nick had the Bulls. And if anybody listened to draft season or the TKW pod, you probably guess which prospect he went to. But Nick, who'd you go with just for? Yeah, completely unsurprising to anybody that has ever talked to me, really. But Denny Avdia. <laughs> yeah. And and- I'm I'm very, very high on him. But I also, I think, at this spot for the Bulls, who are in a really weird position where they have everything and nothing simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, that's all I was about but, to ask. How does he fit in with that? I, I, I do like the fit, though. The, the thing is about Chicago is if you look at the, – they have a five – you know, everybody on their roster, they're either committed to financially or committed to with a top ten pick. And it's still young. They're, they're very young, even though, again, they're not in a great place going forward. There's some uncertainty with who will stick to front in the new front office there. You know, obviously the Jim Boylan era is over, which is probably good for everybody, but we don't know what Billy Donovan is going to want to use. I, I kind of think marketing might maybe on the move this, this off season. I always want to say this summer, but this off season. And they're just in a weird place. Denny being a good playmaking defensive player I think he just makes sense because no matter what way they end up moving, he is a pretty malleable piece that can probably fit into whatever system and kind of core they continue with going forward. Nick, say they move Porter instead of uh, Lowry. Do you think that Denny can like handle a majority of his minutes at the wing? That's an interesting question. I think you could get creative with him. I, I do think he could could handle, you know, switching between the, the wing and, and kind of being a stretch for. He's going to be on the perimeter regardless. Defensively, it's a question. I, I don't feel great about him guarding wings. But also, I don't really feel great about anybody on Chicago defensively. <laughs> so, I think he's a good enough team defender that you can try that way. Again, I, I think you'd be a better fit with Carter as a front court, but I, I don't think, again, I think his versatility is probably his greatest strength. And rather than shoehorning in a player that they need to fit in a certain way, I do think you could get, get creative with him as in the three or the four going forward, whichever way they end up moving. Yeah, I agree. And I do think Levine's also another name that could be on the move. So the Bulls are an interesting team because, like you said, they have everything and nothing at the same time. So that allowed them to do a bunch of different things that we don't even know. (laughs) It's really fascinating that they have, you know, a very clear one through five, and they may not be committed to any of them. Exactly. I think, yeah, I I think Carter's. Kobe White probably 
See, I even forgot Kobe White. Yeah, I completely. I, I knew he was on the team, but he didn't even come to mind when I'm thinking of their core. I'm thinking Marketing, Carter, Levine. But yeah, I throw Den. I think Denny immediately becomes their best asset. But uh, yeah, so moving on to Cleveland, that was my pick. I did a trade with Eli, who had Phoenix at tenth overall. He sent me Kelly Oubre, a 2022 second round pick for the fifth pick. I went with, well, Eli, actually. Eli, you went with Killian Hayes, you bastard. I so did. He will not be there for the Knicks in this mock draft. I think he fits Phoenix perfectly, but I'll let you cover that. Yeah, I mean, it hurts to lose Ubre because he was really good for them this year. He was sort of like they just they got him for very little, and he provided a lot for them, so that's always going to sting a little bit. But he is going to be on an expiring contract. And the way he's playing, I think he could see himself get a pretty decent deal in the next summer. Um, And it really seemed like in the bubble, they sort of figured stuff out with, they had like the Cam Johnson at the four. They've got Dario Saric, I think is still around for them. And so I just decided that like, while Rubio has been great to stabilize things next to Booker and has shown really like, the ex- the extent to which Booker can just dominate now that he's not literally the only person on the team who can create a shot for himself or for someone else. Um, so we're just going to keep kind of building in that direction and give him a lockdown defender who's really good both on and off ball. I think the Suns would have to put a lot into like cleaning up his catch and shoot mechanics so because he's going to be playing a lot of off ball next to Booker. But, you know, they've, they've done work with, Mikhail Bridges to get his shot kind of where it needs to be and I think so it'd be like him and Aiton would kind of just be in the shooting program from day one but like he would really round them out him Bridges and Aiton should be a really good defensive combination moving forward and that's just like a lot of playmaking and a lot of shooting all around so I think that Hayes could be just like the key that unlocks everything and pushes them even to the next level and he's learning under a great point guard who's also sort of pass first and defensive minded um, in Rubio and Rubio could also become a trade ship if, if they're the team who's looking to shore up their own point guard rotation. So I really think that he could be that last puzzle piece for them that really clicks everything together. Yeah. I like Killian Hay there for the Suns. Uh, I think, I think the Suns are interesting because they, they had that success in the bubble, but they also kind of could use another young point guard. I feel like over the last three or four years, the Suns have developed or tried to tried to develop a young point guard for the longest time, and it just hasn't worked. And Killian would be in a perfect position. They got two offensive guys to lean on and allow him to truly figure out his game. And if he takes off, he, he's potentially the best player in this draft, so... I think that's a good risk for Phoenix to move up and get a player that they normally wouldn't get if they stay in pad at 10. Yeah, and just to build off that, the, my main fear with Killian to New York is he would have to accelerate his offensive development because the Knicks are going to at least ask him to be your second best scorer at some point for now, unless they get the star, which I don't think is happening. And Phoenix, at the most – I feel like he's going to be the third score, probably, probably even the fourth early on. So the less pressure there, I think, is really good for him. Playing next to Devin Booker is self-explanatory. He's a walking bucket. 
And then Aiton's been great. He looked great in the bubble. And then, like Eli said, Bridges, that's, that's a great – that's great insulation for a young point guard. And Oubre, I, great. He'll be a great scorer for another team, which in this case is Cleveland. I don't think he kind of alters their timeline. Phoenix, that is. Yeah, plus, I mean, Oubre and Kevin Porter Jr. on the same team. Who oh, wouldn't yeah. want that? Just lefty dunks on everyone. Yes, scoring, period. That's just a, it's a walking bucket. Um, so, six, we're going to keep it with you, Eli. You have the Hawks. Who'd you go with? I went with Isaac Okoro. Um, I, I also, like Q was talking about with at three with Charlotte, I, uh, I also was tempted to go with Halliburton because I, I really like the idea of Halliburton playing off of Trey. But in the end, this, the, the defense of those two together sort of scared me a little bit. So I went with Okoro, who sort of doubles down on there. They can get kind of like an all-wing uh, two, three, four. I mean, all, a lot depends on what's happening with the John Collins-Clint Capella experiment because I always thought that they would be at their best with, you know, kind of three sort of doing what Boston does with those like three rangy wings who can do a lot of everything. Um, And that's sort of what this would be a move towards, but you know, Capella being there does sort of put a wrench in that, but any, I just wanted another defender next to Trey and also like him and Cam both have a lot of playmaking upside that they can get to, which what I really want to see from Trey is what he looks like, when he's playing off ball, when he's relocating like Steph, and he's never really had to do that before. But I think if you have the ball in the hands of a Coro who can really function as a secondary playmaker, then that could unlock a lot of stuff for Trey in ways that we haven't seen. And sort of, you know, he's so dangerous already. And so to add the off ball game would kind of make him an unstoppable scoring point guard. Yeah. The off ball stuff is kind of what made me want Edwards there too, because I think Edwards in spots, at Georgia, he showed that he can make some crazy passes, but he just didn't show it enough. But I think when you're playing with Trey, it just get, becomes so infectious of just sharing the ball. I think it could have been really fun, but I think Okoro accomplishes the same feat. I would say athletically, he's right up there with Edwards, maybe even better, because he just levitates on the ground. It's off the well, ground. He's it's actually crazy. willing to go into the rim and use his body, unlike right. Edwards. Yep, that's true too, yeah. Plus, the added bonus is that the more wings Atlanta gets, the more likely it is that uh, Kevin Herter gets squeezed out and maybe the Knicks can uh, swoop him up. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thought. He would be a much-needed fit in New York. Mm-hmm. Do, you, in re, in, do, you, do we think Atlanta keeps this pick? Because I only, mm-hmm. I only ask that because adding Capella, when you get Capella, now you kind of have the defense – you kind of have the high upside upside guy in Cam Reddish. You have Trey, who's your offensive engine there. I I think I threw it in the in the chat not too long ago. But do you think they try to make a move to maybe get somebody like say a like Bradley Beal was the guy I suggested? Mm. But do you think they use this pick more towards someone who can kind of help accelerate their their whole timeline? And do they need to do that, or should they? The Capella trade kind of changed my thinking on that because if they didn't trade for Capella, I would say no, they just keep building. But the Capella trade, I don't know. I still don't understand that trade. Maybe I just don't watch the Hawks enough. But isn't he kind of redundant with Collins offensively? Like Collins isn't a shooter, so I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, Collins Collins is like a low-volume shooter, but he has been a pretty good shooter. But, yeah, I mean, mostly they're both just kind of like finishers. 
I do think that Collins has a little bit more in his bag and that like this is maybe it's like simultaneously a bet on Collins developing on offense and sort of a hedge against how bad he's been defensively. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I agree with you. They sort of like, it really changed my thinking of the team too. And it, I don't know. I think it kind of limits them in some ways, but if they can have Capella and sort of do what the Rockets did where they like start with him and then just kind of like move him to the bench pretty quickly on and go small, like with Collins there and an extra wing, I, then I think that that's interesting, but I, I could see them make a move. I don't think they have the assets for like a deal necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what like lower level guy would be out there. Like I could see them being interested in maybe, I don't know, like Drew Holiday would be interesting to have as a guy, like just a lockdown defender to have next to Trey. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems like a little bit more gettable. But I think the other thing that like they would be kind of a prime candidate for a trade down deal and like to try to take someone, I don't know, even maybe like someone like Poku or someone who, you know, they, they have, you know, a lot of guys who need big minutes right now. So it could make sense to take a little bit more of a project who could pay off bigger in a couple years. Yeah, I can see that for sure. I just keep looking at this Hawks team and I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what their expectations for the sixth pick will be based on the fact that this roster seems like they're moving in the direction where they kind of want to make the playoffs and, they certainly feel like a team – they have some cap space too, so they certainly feel like a team that can maybe make one or two moves in free agency and all of a sudden they're contending in that Orlando-ish range next year for a playoff spot. But they look interesting. Yeah, so if that if they do want to make the playoffs, maybe they talk to San Antonio about DeRozan. Mm. Uh, that's like I don't I really don't know if he fits what they're trying to do either because it seems like they're just trying to either score right at the rim – or bomb it from 50 feet away. So right. I like DeRozan. Plus you're not going to give up uh, the sixth pick for an expiring DeRozan. Exactly. Yeah, it would have to be the sixth. And I would probably be DeRozan at 11, I would assume. They have 11 pick, right? Yeah, it would have mm-hmm. to probably be some combination of that. Which I, I would – I mean, if you're Atlanta, why not? Because this is – I feel like this is more common in football, but rookie contract Trey Young, you want to try and get as much winning done before you have to pay him as possible. So maybe that's kind of coming into their thinking with the Capella deal and other, but we'll see. I don't know that that's, but that's another team that if that was a team I wanted to jump into the top three, because I feel like they would have traded with the Knicks because they don't really need, I mean, Edwards is probably the only guy I feel like they probably wanted desperately. And then the rest is just whatever falls to them, falls to them. But uh, before we take a break, I just wanted to get to Detroit Q, you had them, and you went with Obi Toppin. What was the thinking behind that one? Honestly, um, watching the Pistons, I think they were one of the last teams to play the Knicks before lockdown. They just they just don't have talent anywhere. This is a team that could really use just about anything. Um, I know they have Blake Griffin. I know they have Christian Wood on the roster. But I just think Obi Toppin makes the most sense. Is just a piece that can come in and kind of – holdings over until they figure out what they want to do. I feel like this is a team that could be changing their coach in the next 12 months. They just rebranded their front office. They kind of everything. I was hoping Killian Hayes got here because I think they're ultimately going to hope that Killian Hayes gets here in real life and then just take him and cultivate him there and allow him to run the show. But 
I want Obi Toppin because I think Blake Griffin will be there for a little bit, then eventually traded. I think Christian would. They kind of want to bet and see if they can get something out of him. Maybe once they tra- they could trade him after they extend his contract. I think Obi Toppin makes a ton of sense as like a, sp- a floor spacer a little bit. He can pass and he could energize the crowd a little bit. So that's what I want with Obi, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense on the face value there. Yeah, and I just don't have anyone, like, who do they have that you're going to, like, change how you're drafting to draft around? I feel like they just need anyone that they can get. Yeah, I also think Blake – I mean, Christian Wood's definitely gone in free agency, barring a massive overpay. But the Pistons – I don't think that would be smart by the Pistons if they do have a chance at Obi. But I also love the doomsday scenario of Blake for Russell, Russell Westbrook. That would be hilarious. And also free him, but – We'll be right back, and we'll get to the Knicks pick, which Nick has. So, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. And we will lead off with the eighth overall pick, the New York Knicks. Nick, you had it. This is kind of the scenario at the end, not maybe not the exact order, but Killian Hayes is off the board. LaMelo Ball is off the board. Isaac Okoro is off the board. Obi Toppin is off the board. Which way did you go? I went Devin Vassell. Okay. Yeah, I feel like that seems like the way that Nick should go. What were your what was your rationale for going Vassell? Is it just the security? Well, I, I think the rationale is what you said. Killian Hayes is not available. LaMelo Ball is not available. Those are I mean, not that LaMelo's ever gonna fall to eight, but I, I thought there was a chance Killian does. He'd be my top choice. I I think at eight with the Knicks probably missing out on the top tier guys they would want you get a, a use the word secure a secure pick here in a draft where there's a lot of question marks all around you get a guy that I think most people would say with, with a good amount of confidence is going to be good now how good that there's obviously questions but because of his defense shooting that those are the things the Knicks need and he's someone that can provide those things, but may not be the flashiest pick, will be a solid pick at eight. Eli and Q, how do you guys feel about this? Because, I mean, Eli, we've talked about Vassell quite a few times already where everything Nick said, 100%. And I think that's why the Knicks themselves actually like Vassell. Q, what do you think about Vassell? Because we haven't had you on the podcast, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on sell and if you would actually go him or maybe somebody else um for me i think it's personally between him and patrick williams at that pick uh both in real life and in this scenario i think Vassell fits what the knicks need and as of right now they they kind of need just a player who can space the floor and defend and i know a lot of people want that home run hit um, a lot of people want poku or you know if one of killian falls or maybe even trading up for Lamelo. but i think I think Lamel. I think excuse me. I think Vassell is a double. I think he's someone who can come in. Tibbs is gonna like him because he can play defense right away. He may not be a three and D guy right away, just because his body's gonna take time to adjust. But I think he can be a solid player for the Knicks and someone they really haven't had for the better part of the last five years. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And if we're gonna go with the left field pick, that would have gone over. Vassell, maybe Tyrese Maxey, 
maybe Patrick Williams was Sell's teammate, but I would I personally I would have went Maxi. I love Maxi. So Eli, is any prospect that maybe not ranked in the top eight or ten that you think the Knicks could or should look at here? Yeah, I mean the other name that keeps popping up for the Knicks is Kira Lewis. And for me it would be between those two guys for the most part, because I do think that Kira Lewis is worth a top 10 pick in this draft, despite where he went in our mock. Um, but yeah, I, I think that everything that Nick and Q said are exactly right. Like, I, I think that there's a lot of logic in taking just a safe guy who that you know is going to come in and fill a role um, and sort of be looking for your kind of franchise changers next year when they have a draft that has a lot more of them. Um, and just someone who like the Knicks have so many people who are such specific fits and just need so many perfect conditions to thrive in. And Bissell seems like a guy who is not like he's the opposite of that. He can really go anywhere. And I think that, that he'll be able to find a pretty easy role for him. And I think, you know, the more guys you have like that, the more versatility you have in lineup options and in just like team building in general. So I think that it makes a lot of sense to just get a wing who can fit both with the people you have on the team right now and whatever direction you choose to go in the future. Yeah. If I want to add on that, I think that's one of the, that's probably the main reason that I went with Vassell because the three guys I considered were, were Kerry Lewis and Vassell and then also either trading down or just taking Poku right there. We don't know what's going to happen with the Knicks this offseason, whether they'll sign a guy like Fred Van Vliet, pursue a guy like Chris Paul in a trade. Again, Vassell is the one that I think gives them the most, you know, sustainable versatility. He's just a guy that you have trust in regardless of what other moves they want to make. Let me tell you, if they go Poku at eight, that is very ballsy, but I would love it just because of the sheer balls that it would take to take Poku over such names like Kira Lewis, especially Kira, because people, I feel like his name's been buzzing the most amongst Knicks fans. And his stat, when you look at his, his stats match the eye test. So that would be, that would be hell of a pick, but rounding out the top 10, not really eventful. I had Washington and Cleveland. I went Okongu for Washington. It was pretty simple. They don't really have, or never really had a good big man to pair with John Wall. Gortat was probably the closest thing they did to that. I think Okongu fits with Wall, Beal, and Roy pretty well. Good player, and I think he can help them make the playoffs next year where some guys might need more time. For the Cavs, I went Patrick Williams, polar opposite of that, where I think this guy's going to be an absolute monster. He just needs a few years. Eli, I remember you did a piece on him for the eighth overall pick, so if you want to just give the folks just a two-minute rundown on who Pat Williams is and why he's surging up boards. Yeah. I mean, I like Pat Williams a lot. Um, He's six, eight. He's, you know, he's kind of a wing, but he's mostly a four sort of like what we were talking about with Denny earlier. Although I think even more so just because of like, he's got sort of more of a big build than a wings build. But I, I think that that could also, you know, put him in an NBA strength and conditioning program and you could get him down to a side where he could guard wings. But he was part of the, like, the FSU defense with Vassell was just an absolute, like, meat grinder. And he was part of it. Like, you'd see him routinely full court pressing, picking up guys, like, the entire length of the floor and just hounding them. 
and also has some he had the jump shot it's not like the I think he only shot about 32 percent this year but he's got a nice looking stroke he does he can shoot a tiny bit off the dribble if they can like speed up his release I think he can actually have a little bit of potential to shoot off the dribble and he's just a really good team help defender like I don't think he's a huge defensive playmaker like I'm not sure he's going to be racking up like the steals and blocks as much as he's just sort of like, he's a preventative guy. Like he blows stuff up before it happens. And that was the thing that I was kind of most impressed with watching him was even when it wasn't showing up in the box score, he was completely dismantling offenses when he was on the defensive end, basically single-handedly. And the last thing is he's got some really interesting passing upside, which a team that has Sexton and Garland and even Kevin Porter Jr. desperately needs as much playmaking as it can get. So I, I think he's a really good option for them. I think he'd be a really interesting choice. And that's where I got like a little bit of BAM vibes where you mentioned preventing stuff before it happens. There are like countless plays of BAM doing that to other teams. And it's something that I feel flies under the radar when we're looking at prospects because we usually like running to – in this case, sports reference and seeing what's his per per 40 minutes or whatever. But I, I really do think you hit the nail on the head with Pat Williams. So that was the top 10. Q, you set the teens off right. San Antonio, you went with the international mystery man, Poku. So why did you go with him for the Spurs? And what do you think he's going to be like in, I don't know, four or five years from now? I, I think – Putting him with San Antonio just makes a ton of sense only because it feels like the Spurs have two separate groups. They have all these young players they drafted over the last three years, and then they have LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. And it just feels like at some point you kind of have to shift to make that first group more of a priority. So I think Pokashevsky makes a ton of sense as someone who the Spurs can put in the G League allow him to get some extra weight on his body, then maybe bring him up in the second half of the season. You know, um, I think Eli wrote it, like he would be considered like a, a 2021 pick a year ahead. And for a Spurs team that feels like they're going in the direction of potentially being in the lottery for the next couple of years, I think that makes sense for them. I think he can be a good player moving forward. I think a lot of people want to compare him to like a Porzingis type, which I, I mean, I guess that's fair. Um, based off the little tape I've seen. But I think he just makes a ton of sense for a team that needs a shot in the dark and someone who could potentially be a star player, which Poku projects to be. Yeah, I've grown to love Poku thanks to Eli and Nick, who last pod really gave a great breakdown on who Poku is and what he can turn into. And I haven't really seen someone that fluid for his size. And it's just the thought of – Popovich maybe on his last legs of his coaching career getting to develop him or even just his his disciples getting a chance to develop Poke I think that would work out really good you had Sacramento you made a trade with Nick the trade was between the Orlando Magic and the Sacramento Kings sent Aaron Gordon and the 15th overall pick for the 12th overall pick and Buddy Heald and with that pick you went with somebody I felt could it easily and can easily go in the top 10 Tyrese Halliburton. So what made you want to go with Hallie? At first I was a bit, I, I was leaning between him and Kira Lewis. Um, and then I went with Halliburton more because he fits what John Hammond does with 
young players and wingspan. Um, the trade was more or less just to – the Magic feel like they need to mix it up. Aaron Gordon feels like someone who needs to be moved just to maybe get back on track. And I think Buddy Hill's an underrated player because he can space the floor. And while we talk about his shortcomings, he's locked into age 30. He's, his contract decreases. And I think he shot about nine threes per game and hit about 40% of them. For a Magic team that feels like they just lack any offensive dynamism, he would be perfect for what they need. And then you add Halliburton with Markel Fultz. That gives you two guys who can handle the ball. We don't know if Fultz will ever shoot again, but Halliburton can shoot. And both of those guys can defend on the perimeter. So between those two guys, John Isaac behind them, and then maybe if Bamba comes along, that gives you a nice defensive burrow to put around Buddy Heald, who can be the leader of that offense. I just think I think that pick made sense to me as someone – as an Orlando team that kind of needs some change. I think those two players would provide a different element to an offense. Yeah, and I feel like they did have to move on from Aaron Gordon or Isaac, and Gordon just made more the most sense to move on from. And him landing with De'Aaron Fox is pretty good comparing to what he was subjected to for the early part of his Orlando tenure. And I think sure. everything with Buddy, 100% right. And even in the playoffs, we saw the Magic were hung in against the Bucks, but they just didn't have that score. I just never felt like they had somebody that can put the Bucks away. And I think Buddy at least gives them somewhat of a closer, whereas before, who's really closing games for them? Vucevic? Yeah. And even if, even if Buddy falls short of expectations in the long run, run of not being that max player, it at least gives them something different. I think Jonathan Isaac is a good player, but he's more of an unconventional star. And it's always tough to build around those guys just because they're often missing the offensive part of their game mm-hmm. to really increase the ceiling in the floor. With Isaac, with Hal, with a, excuse me, with Heal, with Halliburton, and if Markel Fultz can come around, that burden of the offensive game for Isaac is, you know, lessened. Right. And it just all, it all boils down to Fultz, Bamba, finding that lane. But I, I, lo- I love the trade personally. Halliburton's a great pick for them. Uh, next up, I did New Orleans. I that was my pick. I went Aaron Naismith. Pretty easy. They have I think JJ Redick was probably their only solid shooter around Brandon Ingram last year. I think Naismith fills that role. I believe Redick signed for one more year, so that's a mentorship year. The other two players, Ingram's a stud, Zion's a stud. So I think just adding a shooter out there to just alleviate those or decongest those lanes is key. Um, Next up, Eli, you had Boston, and you went with a pick old Knicks fans might like. So, Cole Anthony? Yeah, I I took Cole Anthony for them. Yep. Just uh, continuing the trend of the small volume scorers. Um, You know, Boston doesn't really need anything right now except for you know maybe a center but they that I think there's plenty of ways for them to find it they've shown that they can find centers in a number of ways and Robert Williams looks really cool in the playoffs uh so I decided to go for a little bit of uh Kemba insurance because Kemba as great as he is is a little bit like that team has a lot of scoring already um and he makes a lot of money So I could see a very Danny Ainge thing would be to kind of like, you know, trade him 
in maybe a year or two and he still has value and they can still get something for him. And Cole would make a lot of sense to learn under him and kind of keep honing his isolation game while learning from Kemba how to be a better, more well-rounded scorer. I, I, like, I really do think that Cole has a lot of potential in the right situation. It's just that we saw him in the absolute most wrong situation, kind of the same benefit of the doubt that we give RJ for the Knicks. I mean, it was basically the exact same thing for Cole, except that Cole was also coming off of a knee injury. So I think he's a little bit of a better defender than he showed. I think he's a little bit of a better passer than he showed. Um, And I think if any team is going to maximize the gifts that he really does have and get something like very positive out of him, it seems like Boston is, is that team. They've shown time and time again how they elevate their, you know, their volume scores. Right. And I think Cole is the classic. He's going to be good anywhere but New York. And if he is in New York, he's going to be a bust. <laughs> yeah. So I do – I mean, I guess Boston – it would suck if he went to Boston and ended up being really good. But, yeah, no, that solid pick. I could have easily seen Kira going here as well, and thank God he doesn't. Oh, but that would that would be pretty dangerous. I think Kira fits Boston even better. And oof, thank God he did it. But um, 15th overall, Nick, you traded – Buddy Heald in 12 for Aaron Gordon and the 15th pick. You know, it's Sadiq Bay, which I think is probably the perfect replacement you can get for Heald. He was, when I watched Sadiq Bay at first, similar release where it's very quick, very fluid. Was that what you just looking for a buddy replacement there? Or are you just looking – or buddy, buddy that can play defense, I should say. Yeah, ba- basically exactly that. I think a lot of the things you guys said about Aaron Gordon with Orlando moving on also apply to – Sacramento moving on from Buddy Heald. I think they just they need to move off him or Bogdanovich, and I think Buddy is probably more likely um, because of his contract. I don't know exactly what his value is and, and where they'll move. I think just moving moving off from him and trying something new, getting someone else in there, just makes sense. And I do think what they get from Buddy, even though I do like him, they can look for replacements, and that's kind of what I did with both Sacramento picks that I have in this this draft was try to replace some of that shooting. And I, I think Sadiq Bey does a good job of that with, as you mentioned, a little more defense. I think he's someone that doesn't necessarily – I think there have been some issues and some rumblings about, you know, Buddy Heald's role in the offense. I don't think you get that issue with Sadiq Bey. I think him and Aaron Gordon both benefit from playing with De'Aaron Fox. I think everybody would benefit from playing with De'Aaron Fox. And I think that would be a good way for the Kings to kind of continue what they're doing with just a little tweak on, on that side. Yeah. And I think another reason Buddy might be out is I'm, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but he kind of had that, that to end the season, it was like, well, what's your role here? It's like, I don't know. You tell me type of thing. So I do think if they do, he was furious, like the entire last half of the season. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not bugging out. Okay, good. And I don't, want to be out here talking like I have scoops and sources but I do have one connection to a player on the Kings and from what I've heard internally that he is just not well liked within the team and that the goal would be to move him as soon as possible interesting well look at that Nikki scoops all right (laughs) I love it all right so you had the 16th pick you went Josh Green 17th Minnesota that was my pick I went Maxie Eli went Kira Lewis. 
Do we feel any of these guys went a little too low? I think Josh Green went probably in his range, so I think we could, we're good with him. He went to Portland. That would be a great grab for Portland. Tyrese Maxey and Kier Lewis, do you guys think they went too low? Because those are two names that have floated for the Knicks at eight, and I'm sure the Knicks aren't the only team that have interest in them. Do you guys think either should go higher, or do you think this is where they I, should go? I was personally a little surprised that Kira fell this far because I did consider him for the Knicks at eight, and I, I thought he would be closer to that 10 range. Mm-hmm. And he did go to Dallas for those wondering, which I think would actually be a great fit for Luca, because I feel like the one thing Dallas was missing when Porzingis is healthy is a guard that can kind of help Luca out scoring, because I think Porzingis is turning into a stretch five where he's not really offering much other than like a couple tip slams. So I do love that fit there. Maxi in Minnesota. I love him. And I think that's a reason why I didn't go LaMelo early on. Q and Eli, did you guys feel like they should have went a little higher? Do you think Knicks should target one of these guys? What are your thoughts? That's, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask if the board kind of fell this way where you're getting into the early teens and we have like a Cole Anthony, a Tyrese Maxey, a Kira Lewis on the board, should the Knicks kind of move? Like, should they consider jump, like, you know, maybe using a couple assets over the next two drafts, maybe even the 2023 match pick to consider moving up? Because the thing we don't talk about with the Knicks is that they had, we, when we discuss their draft picks, we discuss only their first round picks. Mm-hmm. They have seven picks in the next two years. So, like, I know some of them are second round picks, but one's like a high Detroit pick. Charlotte's always going to be in the top 10 in the second round. If the board were to fall this way, would we want the Knicks to move up? Yeah, I think Portland is an ideal trade partner. And if, let's say, the Orlando never makes that trade with Sacramento, that's another team where I think if you see at least Kira for sure, if you start to see him slip outside the lottery and now he's going to the teens and upper 20s, you got to at least try and make the move because he is talented. So I, I would do it personally. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so I think that both of them went lower than I would take them, but also sort of are within their ranges. Um, like for for Lewis, I think it's interesting. Like it seems like if the Knicks don't take him at eight, um, then, you know, New Orleans maybe could be a possibility for him if they don't believe fully in – Lonzo or if they want to move Lonzo to the two and you know do something with Drew um but other than that there aren't a lot of places that really need a point guard um so I think that it is possible for him to slip in this way but like I said earlier I think he's a top 10 talent in this draft and I Mm -hmm. so I think that if the Knicks can move up if the Knicks can, can take someone like Vassell with their eighth pick and then move up without giving away you know, let's say they're two twenty-one picks and they're more important player assets right now. I think that that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think Boston will probably be the next team that might look into it. Like you had Cole Anthony going there. I do think they take a guard. It's very possible. And I really do think, like, if we flipped, I think Kira and Cole, I feel like that's, that's more of what could happen. But, yeah, I, th- I do think they're all in their range. Maxi, I do like for the Pelicans in hindsight. If I had to redo it, I would definitely consider Maxi a little more than I did at the time. 
just because I don't know if they're completely sold on Lonzo Ball. I know David Griffin loved Ball when he made the AD trade, but that could have changed. He had a really rough bubble performance. So now, now, Mike, let me ask you this because so the way that you're talking about Maxi, would he be the point guard on New Orleans? And then sub question would be, how do you see him and and D'Angelo fitting together on the wings or on the guard spots in Minnesota? I think him and D'Angelo would be great because I think Tyrese have learned well playing under Ashton Higgins in Kentucky, playing with Ashton Higgins rather. So he's got valuable experience playing off the ball. So I'm not really worried about him being and asked to play the shooting the three. Goal. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate that. And who was the, what was the other one you said? I'm sorry. Oh, in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Like, do you consider would you consider him the point guard for that team? Yeah, definitely. And depend. It also depends on what they do with Drew Holiday because he could be on the move. But if Drew, let's say Drew Holiday stays. Yeah, Tyrese Max, he's cable. That's what he came to Kentucky as. He kind of had to shift his role because of Hagen's. So I think that will end up paying dividends in one way. But, yeah, though that I can definitely see that. Moving along, though, we went to – I really like the 20th pick here. Jaden McDaniels, he's an enigma. He's very emblematic of this whole class where we don't know what he is. I think this is one of the teams where if he goes there, he'll actually max out his potential. Anywhere else, it's literally a mystery box. So was that your thinking on that pick, Nick? That was yours? Was that that your thinking on it? That was exactly my thinking. I'm actually – I'm not personally super high on McDaniels. Mm. And I see a lot of situations where he does not turn out to be a, a solid NBA player. I don't think Miami is one of those situations. I do think they're a situation where they could turn him into a great NBA player. Because I do think he has the potential. I I think there's enough flaws for me to be concerned. But a place like Miami, which has the culture and development that has been proven time and time again to be able to maximize guys, I think matters. And also because of how successful they are with their current roster, I think that allows them to take more of a risk. They don't have any real significant needs at the moment where I think they can go out there and take a guy like McDaniels and – really try to turn him into a valuable piece going forward. Yeah. And I, I think that McDaniels is like an interesting kind of in the similar way as Cole Anthony, one of these guys where the talent or at least like the, the sketch work of the skill set is there. And so even though he didn't have a season where like, you know, he came in like Cole, I think a basically a consensus top 10 guy. Um, and even though he didn't have a season that backed that up, like if you get down to about to like the 20 range, then I think that's a really safe spot to take someone who has a potentially high ceiling or could just be like a, a decent versatile role player. Um, but like once he starts to get to a certain point, like there's some real steel potential for these guys who, who might have like disappointed based on what you initially thought or we like initially heard that they might be as a player but still do have a lot of untapped potential to be had. Yeah, and I think we see this where franchises like Miami are the ones that always are able to, to maximize that. They're the ones that are able to turn those guys into to actual players and assets. Yeah, they just seem to 
know how to develop players. It's a trick I wish the Knicks would learn. But moving along, uh, Tyrell Terry, I, that was my pick. He went to Philly, self-explanatory. They, I mean, if anyone watched the 76ers at all this year, you know they need a guard, desperately need guards with an S and shooting. And I think Tyrell Terry accomplishes all that. And Eli, you were the first person that put me onto Terry. So how do you think him? I think him and Ben match perfectly because Simmons become, is still the initiator and Terry can just do what he does best, which is shoot. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Um, you know, they have so many team building things to figure out. Uh, like if they decide to basically keep Ben Simmons at the four, like they were experimenting with in the bubble and then have him just be like the, the nominal point guard in most cases, it does lead to the question of what do you do with Al Horford? Keep him on the bench probably. And, you know, Tobias Harris is a natural four, but I guess he can play the three and, it's not ideal defensively, but if you do have, if you have, I mean, Terry is basically, you're kind of betting him on him doing what Shake Milton did for them in the the bubble in the playoffs this year, but just younger at a higher level and with more playmaking potential because Shake was sort of, I don't know, he was pretty hopeless when it was anything except like a catch and shoot. Um, and I, I mean, he's got that kind of like out of the gym range. He's got a really quick shot. Uh, so I, th- I think he'd be a great fit next to them. Yeah, and I do too, and that's why he went there. I think it's one of the no-brainers in the 20s. But moving along, you went R.J. Hampton to Denver. Q, you took Desmond Bain, which broke my heart because I really wanted him to go to New York. <laughs> um, 24, we went – we actually had a trade, me and Nick. So we this was the Chris Paul trade. OKC acquired the 24th pick in addition to Eric Bledsoe, Dante DiVincenzo, Robin Lopez, Ursan Ilyasova, and George Hill. So pretty much their core. <laughs> yeah, can I, can I go and explain this? Because I know it looks like a whole lot on paper. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because my first thing, well, I'll just say one thing. I really think like when you really distill this trade, it's really just Dante DiVincenzo in 24. I really don't think they're going to cry over Eric Bledsoe if you're getting Chris Paul. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of, of factors here, which is, you know, they really don't have a their, – their timetable is right now, and the pressure is on them to try to win and at least compete more than they did this year with Giannis going into his free agency next year. So getting – a you know, drafting a player at, at this spot – I don't know if they're going to get someone that can contribute in the playoffs next year, which is clearly their focus. Also, because of the how public this is with Giannis meeting with ownership, the pressure is on them. They have no leverage. And that is just how it's going to be with whatever they do this summer is everybody knows they're trying to do something. And also trading with Sam Presti, which is someone that we know is going to bleed everybody dry on any deal he can get. That I, I honestly think that's what it takes. And Chris Paul's contract requires like eight guys because he's making so much money. Right. And I mean, another thing, they fleeced the Clippers so badly, they can live with not fleecing another team for a couple of years. Right. Absolutely. And you said it, they're not giving up that much. Granted, they're giving up, you know, again, half of their, their rotation. But really, you're trading out Bledsoe for Chris Paul, which is an upgrade they need. DiVincenzo is the is the real you know young piece they're giving up, but again, I think they're 
they don't really have a choice and they need to be willing to part with him. Uh, mm -hmm. Guys like Rolo, I mean, that's just to make the contracts work because Chris Paul is making an absurd amount of money. One likewise, it, it helps that Brooke Lopez is under contract for, I think, three more years after this because with Middleton, Giannis, Chris Paul and Lopez, like there is going to be very little money to round out the rest of because, you know, you're losing a lot of players and they're going to need a lot of like vet minimum guys. But to, so that they've, the fact that they have Lopez under contract and can like not worry about that position or potentially even use him in a future deal, I think kind of like takes a little bit of the pressure in terms of the money off. Yeah. I think ultimately it would be perfectly fine for the for the Bucks to do that because I think this past offseason you kind of saw them get the secondary guys they need. They they can get the guys they need to help them get through the regular season. And then when the playoffs come, having those four, that's a strong four. And Chris Paul will give them a leadership. It gives them another element to their offense when Giannis isn't going. Obviously he probably won't, you know, obviously the health won't be the same issue as this year, next year, but just having someone like Chris Paul who can kind of take the ball, slow it down, and run offense is something that Bledsoe just wasn't doing for them in that Heat series. And I think even though the role players around that four may be weaker next year, that four would be much more stronger in what may be Giannis's last run with the Bucks. Yeah, and Q, you mentioned it. I mean, Chris Paul gives a lot, you know, on and off the court leadership. He also gives you someone that can score in crunch time and – there are still some question marks because of Giannis's play style and his shooting, what he is going to look like as the primary guy in late game situations in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And well, you still need to figure that out. We know Chris Paul can score the, as the guy. And, and that's not even, Oh, sorry to interrupt you, but you're not even mentioning the struggles that Bledsoe has had in the playoffs, basically every, the last three years in a row. Like they need someone who they can count on and not think, Oh, is he going to, you know, fall apart when we need him again. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what – sorry, not to cut you off. Um, I think that was the biggest problem with the Bucks, where if something went bad, it turned into Murphy's Law. And I think that was because Bledsoe just didn't provide what they needed. And sometimes – maybe it wasn't all Bledsoe, but to me it felt like that was the odd piece out because Chris Middleton ended up finding himself. And Bledsoe just – I don't know. I just feel like whenever things got bad – there was not one player on the Bucks that was like, all right, let's let's stop this. Let's turn it. I think Chris Paul could do that. He did that, I think it was game six for OKC, the OKC series. So I think that's exactly what Giannis needs, especially if the Bucks want to try and keep him. Yeah, Mike, I was about to say that exact same thing. He just oh, worked as a, as a stabilizer, whereas Bledsoe, you know, sinks the boat when you're already going down. He sinks it a little faster. Mm -hmm. Exactly. He's bringing water onto the boat. Yeah, I agree 100%. But, um, yeah, so I think that's a pretty decent deal for both parties. I think OKC is going to blow it up. And the next pick was OKC, and I had them taking Leandro Balmero from Argentina via Barcelona. I think that he's going to play another year in Barca. I think that's a stash pick. I think OKC is finally going to start their rebuild. And at 24, I went Jalen Smith just because I think a Steven Adams trade would follow or even – go before a Chris Paul trade because I really do think they're just going to finally hit the reset button. 
But uh, we'll be back to finish up the last section of the mock draft, including the final two Knicks picks. All right, welcome back to the last leg of the mock draft. So we'll kick it off again with the Knicks pick, this time at 27. Nick, who'd you go with? There's no Desmond Bain available. Who'd you take? I went Isaiah Joe from Arkansas. Okay, another sniper, but not a name a lot that has floated around a lot. But so just enlighten some people on who Isaiah Joe is and what he could bring. Yeah, absolutely. There were two guys I picked here, and both are guys that I don't know where they will end up falling. They may not be this high, but they're both guys that I think would absolutely help the Knicks. And I did prioritize shooting quite a bit in this draft for the Knicks. And Isaiah Joe is a sniper. He can shoot. He has, you know, out of the gym range. He can get hot very quickly. He can really, I think, the worst he can be is a kind of bench scorer, quick, you know, Louisville, Jamal Crawford type of just score quickly off the bench. And I think that's the worst he can bring. And I, I do think he can provide a little more than that offensively. And, and I think he would be a great fit to surround RJ with as someone who can space the floor more horizontally, go, you know, real, really deep shooter and can shoot a lot and score a lot. I think that's exactly what they need. Uh, Who else was in consideration? Because Hugo's Grant Riller right after that. Did you give any consideration to Grant or? He was the other one that I, that I was considering. I had it between Isaiah Joe or Grant Riller. Um, I'm very high on both of them. And I would love to see the Knicks take either one of them at 27. Because I really think it, it would bring a lot of production and shooting to, to a team that does need it. Ultimately, I like Joe a little more here all around. But I think both would be very, very, very viable options for the Knicks at 27. And do you think in the future, do you see like a uh, a Joe Barrett Vassell at the two, three, and four? Do you think that would work like in terms of size and defense? I want to say yes very badly. <laughs> I think that is a a wonderful core of wings for the Knicks that can really, really shoot the ball. And I've long been saying that that is what – you need RJ to, to surround RJ with to, to maximize him, which is obviously the priority right now. And I think Vassell is good enough defensively to really kind of be the, be the guy whenever you need to, to guard top wings. I think he can be that guy. And you get a, a – I think the size is enough in, in today's NBA. I'm not – I think it works. What do you think? I've brought up before that I think that eventually he'll be getting time at the four and um, Mark Berman actually just came out with a piece about how he's been working for the last week one-on-one with Johnny Bryant and apparently looks more ripped than ever and I think that you know wing strength I feel like is one of the things that we sort of undervalue that's super important Um, you look at like you know Kawhi Leonard being the best example of that 
Um, and so, you know, Barrett is just going to get bigger and stronger. And he was already so strong as a 19-year-old. So, I mean, I feel like you could probably have him and um, Vassell sort of like interchangeable at the 3-4. Um, hopefully you'd have like a little bit more size on the bench if you needed it for matchups. But, I, I mean, I do think that like, yeah, like you said, that's exactly what you need around Barrett. You need versatile wings. And I think that, I think that Joe is, has some interesting potential on defense too. He's not just a shooter. Like, I think he can defend. Which is ultimately why I went Joe over Riller, because I do trust him more defensively. Yeah, but you did leave Riller to get taken by the Lakers, which is just horrible. That's that's honestly, like, worse to me than the Celtics taking Cole Anthony. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Looking at that, as soon as, as soon as that happened, because honestly, now, in real life, now, I didn't think that was possible in our draft, knowing, you know, who we are, but I would – Love if Riller could fall to 37. Sorry, 38. Yeah, that'd be ideal. I think it, I've seen some mocks where Riller goes as low as 46. Q, what made you want to take him for the Lakers? Is it just Lakers are so desperate for guard play? Because if I see Rondo shoot threes next year, I might throw up. Yeah, it's like Rondo, like KCP. They got Danny Green, who I like. They got Caruso, who's a meme, but he's better than a meme. I just think they I just think they look around and they see LeBron, they see Anthony Davis, and they try to figure out who on the who on the board is the best player that can kind of fit around that. And I just think Grant Riller has good size. He can space the floor. He gives you that extra element as a ball handler. So that would I just think that makes sense. He's older so he can come in right away and contribute makes sense yeah I, I i think that's a home run for the lakers quite frankly because they just need a guard that can shoot because like i said it's rondo and it's just caruso and just not good trey jones was another name i found that can probably pop out around this range but i think this was in the ballpark but uh, moving, let's move to the second round, the second Knicks pick, which, Nick, you also handled. So before then, just to run down, Zay, Isaiah Stewart went 29th to Toronto. Theo Maldon went to Boston at 30. Zeke Nanji. Eli, is that, am I pronouncing that right? You went with him for Dallas. Yeah, I think it's Nanji, yeah. Nanji. Charlotte, Q, you had Charlotte again, another big school pick, which I think falls right into their, I don't know, right into their lane. With Nico Mannion, I really hope the Knicks don't even consider him. I'm just not in the mood to get into that. <laughs> Minnesota, I chose Tyler Bay. Self-explanatory, they need defense. He's a defender. Philadelphia, I went Rams, uh, Jahamis Ramsey from Texas Tech. More shooting for them. Nick, you went um, Killian Tilly for Sacramento. And now you went Devin Dotson for the Knicks at 38. Cassius Winston went right in front of him. At 37, is were you going to go Jones or Winston, who Trey Jones, by the way, went 36. I skipped over him. But is that kind of where Devin Dotson, was he kind of the third banana, or did you just prefer him? I would have had to think a little harder about this pick if either of those other two were still available. I don't know ultimately who I would have went with. I probably would have went Trey Jones um, just as a, a – little more traditional point guard there for, for the Knicks. But with with those two off the board, I went Dotson pretty pretty easily. I mean the the Knicks we 
we've been seeing these reports for the last three months now. They need a point guard. Point guard is a priority. They may, again, they may very well try to fulfill that elsewhere, whether it's Chris Paul or Fred Van Vliet. Either way, I think taking a, a young guard in the draft, whether it's to be a backup or to develop into a starter, is a, this is a good place to do it. We don't know what's going on with Nilekina or what that will look like under Tibbs. So I, I like Dotson here. I also think Dotson can give you a little Zocher-type replacement. We don't know what's going to happen with Dane Dotson. No relation, but he can give you some of that sort of role as well as just a, a bench scorer. Yeah, I yeah, think that's a good value. Go ahead, Q. Yeah, I was going to say, ultimately, if they came away, if the Knicks were to come away with Vassell, Joe, and Dotson, you add two wings who can kind of play between the two and the three. You add a point guard who adds a different element as like a someone who can attack the basket. I think this is – I don't want to say this is the ideal class, but I think I would be very happy if the Knicks came away with something like this. Yeah, and I did really try to think about fit both on the current roster, but again, just thinking long-term of the kind of pieces they want to add to surround RJ and Mitch with. And that's what I was kind of trying trying to do is really help with the shooting as the priority, but getting guys that can score and score in different ways. Yeah, and – that's kind of been the scheme of the draft where they just need all of everything, all the above. But uh, yeah, so hopefully the regular draft follows this. Um, I'm sure we'll probably do another one in case there's any big trades, but guys, any parting thoughts on this draft? What did it teach you anything about what we can expect in November or any parting thoughts? Yeah, I think this just confirmed what I already thought going into this draft and look our mock will not be perfect but there is just so much variance in where guys can end up in this draft when you you look at the guys like Maxi and, and Kara I don't even think any of us thought twice with them following there but also they could go 10 picks higher yeah agreed I think like the whole 10 to 20 range is going to be a really fascinating one to watch out for and, you know, as we've talked about before, this does seem like a draft where a lot of people are going to be – or a lot of teams are going to be trying to trade down or trade up. I think there's going to be a lot of movement. And so, yeah, I mean, this whole, like, process feels so chaotic and so uncertain in a way that even most of the other drafts, which are just like an exercise in uncertainty, but this feels like especially so. The one thing I keep coming back to, and it's been a bit of a thought that I've been having for a while now, is that I just don't think the Knicks should be looking at a point guard at at eight. Um, if Killian or if Killian falls, or if the right trade for Lamelo comes around, then maybe. But I just look at Cole Anthony, Kira Lewis, Tyrese Maxey to an extent, Grant Riller, Dotson. I don't think we even talked about Malachi Flynn. I just I just think if the Knicks are looking at team building, I honestly think taking a wing, taking someone who can impact both sides of the ball, 
and then maybe coming back around for a point guard later and then signing a free agent point guard is probably a better way to go than maybe taking the third or fourth best point guard in this draft at eight. You know, I would rather have the second best wing in Vassell or I'm a fan of Patrick Williams or Poku or take the big swing at eight rather than take, you know, one of those point guards. That's an interesting take because I feel a lot of fans went into this draft wanting LaMelo, and I feel like that's kind of transformed into we need a point guard immediately, which is an evergreen topic for Knicks fans. But I I agree with you in hindsight because, A, I do think there's better options, not only in this draft, but next draft. I mean, we've mentioned Cade Cunningham a handful of times. Someone like that you go all in on. There's other. There's going to be other guards. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I would take the well, second so best thing. My, the one thing I would say to that, which I, I agree for the most part, except I would say for Kira, because I do think mm-hmm. that Kira could be more of a home run swing than we talk about him as being. Like, mm-hmm. he's super young. He's, you know, he's got all the – he's got blind – like, you, how often do you see someone with his speed and also, like, live ball passing and – good pull-up shot like I think that there is a chance that he's everything you want in a point guard especially for a team that wants to play fast and while the next year does have a ton of really great prospects in terms of point guards it's I would say it's much more of a wing draft than a point guard draft like you've got Cade and then you've got like Jalen Suggs and then like what Jaden Springer maybe but like there aren't a ton of point guards in the top end of that it's a it's a lot of really good scoring wings so I agree to an extent I would just put the caveat of I actually do think that Kira could be that high upside home run swing and for some reason he never gets talked about as being that but I really do like he could kind of be a little bit transformative in terms of like how a team plays just because he's so fast that you really can't help but play fast if he's on the floor Quick question off that. Kira or Akuro, if given the option? Who thinks the better home run swing for New York? Oh, that's t- I would say Akuro, just in terms of, like, best player available and just, like, don't worry about the fit. But I I do I, – I really think that Kira – you know, I've said it a few times, but I think that, that, like, we kind of talk about him as being a reach because he's been mocked mostly lower than this. But I think that, you know, once you get past the sort of top six or so that are sort of set in stone – and I would probably put a Kongu up there also. I really think that he's got just as much upside as anyone. And like I said, I just think, you know, he, he also, like, he's not a great defender, but he, he works on defense. Like, he, he's, not, he's not disinterested on defense. He's just super skinny. But he's got, like, a decent frame, and he's, like, I think 6'3". So it's not like he's going to be just tiny. I think he'll be able to eventually put on some good size. So I think that there's a real chance that he could end up being a guard who does just – yeah, who has all the skills you want in 2020. Yeah, I, I would pick Kira only because, unfortunately, I just can't trust the Knicks' development staff yet. I honestly think that Akora would be a bit of – what's the proper term for it? He'd be a very interesting experiment for the Knicks, and it would show that they – do have a testament to development if they took him at eight because I think a lot of the pieces are there for him to be a talented player and I think if he falls to the right team I think he can be really good really fast like I actually think the Atlanta fit is a good fit for him just because there's so much talent on the wings there's so much competition there that'll bring the best out of him um but 
from what I know about the Knicks from the outside looking in, I would take Kira in that situation. I'm with you on the developmental thing. I think that's a major reason I wanted – I'm not really interested in Kuro as much as I should be. Just mm-hmm. because I feel like you have Knox, Nikina, you have th- – those are two project picks. Frank's kind of – I don't know. It's kind of a miracle when you really think about it that Frank's developed anything given how bad he's been managed. But you have those two guys already. Mitch kind of is a developmental project. He's just a great one. So once you work with those guys first before you take on another one, it's kind of just like biting off more than you can chew at this point. So that's the so only- is a coro. So here's the question I come back with, and I actually have talked with Kyle on Twitter about this. But mm-hmm. I'm, my question is, and I'm not sure what the answer is: is is a coro a project, or does he just need to work on his jump shot? Offensive pro- like, project for the Knicks. Let me let me specify that project. For right, the but Knicks. I'm I just mean that like he's gonna be impacting the offense pretty early on. I think just because he's an elite finisher and a very good passer. Um, so I think that when like, I think that he – obviously his shot is going to take a while. But I don't know if that necessarily makes him a project pick. It just means that he's got stuff that is going to be like a long-term goal. But I do think that he's going to be able to come in and, you know, like earn his spot on both ends of the floor pretty early on. So I, I don't think it's going to be a project in that, like, poku way where you're not going to see him, like, playing a big role. Like, I think he'll come in and play a big role basically from day one. I, I really like that distinction because I think it is important. Like, yeah, the shot is the, the X factor for him as a prospect, but he is pretty ready. Mm-hmm. Now, does the spacing worry you guys? Because that's where oh, I'm absolutely. My head is. That's that's where my head is. it does. Yes, that's. Of I guess course. maybe that's what it is. Maybe because it's my my. I don't know what the right word is, but I really don't think they're gonna deviate from RJ. And until I see. RJ on the floor with a reliable jumper and just overall shooting touch. I kind of want to just facilitate or yeah, just get a pacify that with some shooters. And maybe that's where I'm kind of talking myself out of a curl. Yeah. Talking myself into I think it. that that's absolutely legit. And I, I think that there's no way around that concern. I think the question really then just comes down to like, do are we building this team around RJ? Are, are are we have we just like decided that? And so then we're gonna make our draft decisions based on what complements him the best. Which they and, shouldn't do, by the way. Right. So that yeah, that's the question. And it's like it's gonna be and that's the problem with RJ is that like he does sort of limit the options that you can put around him so much. So I you know, we, we talk a lot about whether you take best player available or draft for fit and I think this draft especially is going to be a kind of like finding the happy medium between the two but uh I mean I think that like what they do is going to tell us a lot about how much they're prioritizing RJ and like where the what the belief is there yeah I hope I'm just underrating RJ's progression because I don't know I haven't seen him in a couple months so his shoot the bad shooting nights kind of stick out more than the good ones for whatever reason so I think I'm also getting some of that so maybe when they return, I think they're going to do a couple. I think I don't know what the plan is for the eight teams that didn't make the bubble, but they're doing some sort of, I guess, exhibition where we're going to actually see these guys. So maybe that'll help shape it. But that's my main concern with Okoro, just to put, just to come back to where we started. Oh, I do have one quick question. No, Are we running late? Okay, no, we're good. Uh, would you be more interested in a Coro if I told you? 
Chris Paul was the point guard of the Knicks. 100%. Because I actually, th- I actually think Chris, I actually think since they're trying to do that Chris Paul trade, I actually, like, I know RJ and Okoro aren't great shooters, but just having a point guard like Chris Paul's ability, maybe having him there gets them easier shots. With, and you're saying that his issue is just shooting. It's not actually all the pieces that needs to be fixed. I wonder if that would make him more of an interesting pick at eight if you have someone like Chris Paul there who can kind of navigate both of them into getting better shots. Oh, absolutely. Because a problem with the lack of shooting, I guess, is the evergreen missing piece of point guard. There's just never – I can't remember the last time they had a true facilitator. It might have been – I can't even think of it off the top of my head, at least in Chris Paul's – especially in Chris Paul's class of being able to, you know, move pieces around. I think they could also just add shooters. If they do get Chris Paul, you might you might as well add veteran pieces that can shoot. So, yeah, I think definitely changes it. I would want – if I get Chris Paul, give me anybody. Yeah, I'm down. Give me a Coro. If a Coro – if the issue with a Coro is just that he can't shoot, but he can do a couple of different things, like I think – the Jalen Brown comparison, it only is scare, it only scares me a little bit because you can kind of see the level of a wing prospect Brown is versus a guy like Tatum, who's more like a four these days, mm-hmm. where it's just like some, some of Jalen Brown's decision-making is not that great, and he doesn't really bring that extra element offensively, I feel like, as a passer. There are – like his – his decision-making seems so mechanical at times that you can kind of tell the difference between levels between him and Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of worry about that if that's the issue with the Coro, but if it's, if he can pass, I feel like you can just get, I feel like the biggest issue with the Knicks is that if you take a prospect or someone who you're taking a swing on, they have to have skills that can actually get them on the floor. That's the biggest issue with Kevin Knox is that, we're going into year three, and he doesn't have anything that allow him to get on the floor. Okoro, exactly. just on the ability to play in defense, like I think Tibbs is going to love that guy. And if you think that he can shoot, he'd make a fine pick at eight for me. He had a couple moments where he had like a couple step back threes, but it just was it was all consistency. But I mean, we could I could be dead wrong, and he could actually have a much more refined jumper than I'm thinking of. So I could be dead wrong, and I'm be happy to because everything else about him there's a lot to love yeah and i i don't know i don't think maybe i'm just being optimistic i i think that okoro will shoot in time i don't know if he'll i don't think he'll do it right away but i think that i don't think he's got a broken shot i just think he's not a very good shooter right now yeah it's not a michael kidd chris thing right exactly so i i would expect him you know if like rj shooting 32% was sort of like uh, like kind of found money this year. But I would kind of expect him to be similar to that. Now, obviously, like having two players who are like that on your wing is pretty tough. But I think that I, – I think he'll have a baseline and that if you have a good coaching staff, which it seems like they're building, like I, I do think that there is hope that Okoro will shoot in time. Yeah, and then – if like under Q scenario where you have Chris Paul, somebody that knows he can find out where RJ can shoot from. Like there are, we see it when we saw last season, RJ's good in certain spots. It's just where he rushes his shot. He seems to 
everything just seems to go out of whack. So I think a steady presence at lead guard fixes a lot of these problems or concerns, not even problems, but concerns. So, yeah, I think that's that was pretty much my only take on Okoro not being the pick. But, yeah, anything else, any other prospects you guys feel strongly about or? Uh, I think you might have brought him up, but I, I was sort of surprised to see Malachi Flynn um, kind of fall by the wayside. I think he's he – Yeah, I would like love him really, at 38. Yeah, he looks like a really interesting point guard to me. I think he's probably better than some of the people – that are going to go before him or, and I think that he's probably better than a couple of the people who we took, but like, I don't know. He's a really interesting one to me. As I'll say this for, for 38, I just have biases. And as a mountain West basketball (laughs) fan, I watched (laughs) and hate that man with the passion of a thousand. Wait, why do you hate him though? Because uh, East I, Coasters like myself haven't been able to. Well, I went to Boise them. State, uh, I guess a theoretical rival of San Diego State, mm-hmm. and I just absolutely can't stand that team. I can't stand the way he plays. <laughs> he just is everything I hate about that university and their basketball program. Well, tell us how you really feel. Well, don't yeah, don't sugarcoat it now. <laughs> uh, if, if the Knicks take him at thirty-eight, I just have to get over those things. But at for this one moment where I was in control, I'm not touching him. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I, Fair I, he, he is really good, though. He he is really good. Yeah, because I I haven't seen enough of him. I wouldn't hate him like this. I haven't yeah, seen enough. He seems that like quintessential like backup point guard, run some pick and roll, and just like not give away too much in the minutes that he's out there. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I've heard his name pop up. I have liked the clips I've seen, but obviously you can't base a whole opinion off Twitter clips because then everyone looks like a top star. But that's definitely a name I've been interested and in. I definitely want to take a look at it, especially for that second round pick but yeah so stay tuned we might have another version of this mock draft depending if any trades are made and we have a ton of time drafts not till November 18th so in the meantime look out for a new version of that piece is coming up Q do you have anything queuing up uh, I got nothing in the hopper now um, I'm waiting uh, let the season let the fight let the playoffs go um, we'll find some different stuff to write about for sure, though. So you'll see some things in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. In the meantime, read Q's wrote in a ton of stuff. Make sure you read it. My favorite one, what to do with Julius Randle in the offseason. I feel like that's going to be a very prevalent topic as we move closer towards the end of this season into the actual offseason. So make sure you check that one out. Eli, you have anything coming up? Uh, I actually just had a piece come out today, um, and it was basically just about how – this unprecedented amount of time between the end of the collegiate and international seasons and the big and the actual draft day will is kind of like has led to you know players with skill gaps which there's a lot of players especially at the top of the draft who have like pretty noticeable skill deficiencies but they're getting a sort of unprecedented amount of time to work on those and so that so when the draft rolled around, it's it's entirely possible that some of those things that have been picked apart to death at this point aren't actually there as much. Uh, and so I was R.J. Hampton was the guy who sort of kicked off the whole idea. But I talked a little bit about Killian and his left hand dominance, his catch and shoot mechanics. Um, so, yeah. So go read that at the Knicks wall. 
Yeah, really great blog. And I do think – I always looked at it from the other way where we have so much time to scout them. I never really took into account that these guys can read exactly what's being read about, uh, said about them and then – change it because they can say all right you think i can't shoot fuck you i'm gonna <laughs> refine my jumper by the time the draft comes but uh nick you got any draft profiles coming out any pieces i don't although i've been kind of just workshop shopping something on my own time that i would like to turn into a piece in the future about some of the international prospects that are more at the end of the first round kind of second round range as opposed to those those top guys we've all talked about with denny and those kind of guys, but talking about Teo Maladon and Leandro Balmero, something I'm going to hopefully be starting to work on soon. Excellent. Yeah, I will definitely be on the lookout. And if anybody wants to check Nick's resume, he was very, very early on Denny. So that's a good one. So be on the lookout for that. Draft season will also be coming back as we get closer to the draft. Nick, Jess, Jess Reinhardt, and Dylan Bird will be involved in that. And hopefully everybody that's on this podcast. So – Make sure you're following Eli, Nick, and Q on Twitter. We'll have those accounts listed underneath the pod. And as always, until next time. Peace.